Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, look at verse 22. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. Now, if you look at chapter 18, page 929 in the back of the hymnal of assurance of grace and salvation, you'll notice here there are four sections, four sections. Now, the first section here is that uh, some presume on salvation, but then uh, yet that should not deter us from believing that you can have real and true assurance. Section 1, chapter 18. Although hypocrites and other unregenerate men may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in the favor of God and their estate of salvation, which hope of theirs shall perish, yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never make them ashamed. And then section two, how this assurance is grounded. This certainty is not a bare conjectural or probable persuasion grounded upon a fallible hope but an infallible assurance of faith founded upon the divine truth of the promises of salvation, the inward evidence of those graces under which these promises are made, the testimony of the spirit of adoption, witnessing with our spirits that we are the children of God, which spirit is the earnest of our inheritance, whereby we are sealed to the day of redemption." And then number three, going to talk about <clears throat> what is and is not the essence of assurance. Section three, this infallible assurance doth not so belong to the essence of faith, but that a true believer may wait long and conflict with many difficulties before he be a partaker of it. Yet being enabled by the Spirit to know the things which are freely given him of God, he may without, excuse me, without extraordinary revelation in the right use of ordinary means attain thereunto. And therefore, it is the duty of everyone to give all diligence to make his calling and election sure, that thereby his heart may be enlarged in peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, in love and thankfulness to God, and in strength and cheerfulness in the duties of obedience, the proper fruits of this assurance, 
So far is it from inclining men to looseness. And then the final section, number four, true believers may have the assurance of their salvation, divers' ways shaken, diminished, and intermitted, as by negligence in preserving of it, by falling into some special sin which woundeth the conscience and grieveth the spirit, by some sudden or vehement temptation, by God's withdrawing the light of his countenance and suffering even such as fear him to walk in darkness and to have no light, yet are they never utterly destitute of that seed of God and life of faith, that love of Christ and the brethren, that sincerity of heart and conscience of duty, out of which, by the operation of the Spirit, this assurance may in due time be revived, and by the which, in the meantime, they are supported from utter despair. Amen. <clears throat> well, um, I want to talk tonight on this subject of assurance of salvation. This is an important subject. Um, you know, many of you know that uh, I, in my early years, struggled with assurance. Some of you have uh, maybe struggled with the sense of whether you're saved. Maybe you were fearful that that verse in Matthew chapter 7, many will say unto me, Lord, Lord, uh, and I'll say, I didn't know you, and it strikes terror in your heart. That was one of the scariest verses I could ever read, sometimes as a new Christian, because I wondered, well, how do I know that that's not me, and that I'm self-deceived, and, and that I'm, I'm that person that is uh, not known by Jesus Christ? Um, and and if, it is, if you've never experienced it, um, I'd say a couple things. Uh, one is, um, it is suffering, and be mindful of that. You may end up in God's providence having a child who will struggle with this in their teen years. Maybe you have a grandchild uh, for whom this will be a problem. Or you may, in the providence of God, just have a friend uh, for whom this is an issue. So even if it's not necessarily an issue particular, particular to you, uh, you, do, you do need to know uh, the biblical data about this issue because you may be used of God to help someone else. Now, I'm going to, um, many years ago, I read a book, How Can I Be Sure I'm a Christian by Donald S. Whitney. I probably read that book 30 years ago. I put, made a lot of notes on it, and by God's grace, I still have the notes that I made from that. So a lot of the material is coming from Whitney uh, and not original with me. But the confession um, starts off by saying that there are people out there who presume on their salvation. That is, there are boys and girls, people who believe they're Christians and they really are not Christians. And then you have people who really are Christians and yet they don't know that they're Christians or they don't feel like they're Christians and they're worried that they're not Christians. So you have two, two categories here and then you have the, probably the bulk of people in between who are Christians and, and genuinely know that they are. Now, the Bible does speak of and warns us against presumption. There is the man who, in Jesus' parable, showed up at the wedding banquet without proper wedding attire. What was that wedding attire? The wedding attire was the spotless white garment uh, that was given freely to all the people who came to the wedding. That is, it was a picture of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that we receive by faith alone. You don't earn it. You don't buy the garment from the wedding host. You just simply receive the wedding garment 
and you went to the banquet uh, in that garment. But yet here was a man who was sitting at the, one of the tables at the reception, and yet uh, when the host came, he said, what are you doing here? You know, you're not properly attired. And it's a picture of people who presume uh, that they are genuine Christians and think that they are going to be partaking at the wedding feast and yet uh, are found out. We know that demons have some kind of faith in Christ, and yet it is not a saving faith. They don't love Christ. They don't trust Christ. And so we do have to acknowledge uh, that there are th those who can have some kind of intellectual understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done, but yet not have saving faith. Titus chapter 1, verse 16 says, Many say they know God, but their actions deny him. They claim to know God, but their life does not seem to have fruit. John Bunyan, in his Pilgrim's Progress, ends with three people going over the River Jordan, which is a symbol, boys and girls, of death. And it's Christian, hopeful, and ignorance. And hopeful passes the river, death, in full confidence. An easy death, full of assurance, crossing into glory. Christian, however, does not seem to have that full confidence and assurance of faith. But he does have true saving faith. Christian begins to think about his past sins as he's dying. And instead of passing over the river of death easily, he sinks into what Bunyan says, great darkness and horror. And then you have ignorance, who is ferried across by this boat called vain hope. That is, ignorance is presuming that they are Christian while they're not boys and girls. And while Christian and hopeful both enter into the gates of heaven that are opened on the order of the king, and they come into the presence of the saints who greet them uh, in the midst of the shining ones who help them up the hill and tell them of the great glories and rewards they will see. Ignorance, however, comes to the gate, but the gate does not open for ignorance who crossed over the boat vain glory. The shining ones instead are ordered to take ignorance and bind him hand and foot and cast him into the pit of hell. So is assurance of salvation possible? Yes, as Bunyan shows us with hopeful, it is possible. But is it the essence of faith? No, it is not of the essence of faith, as the Westminster Confession points out. And as Bunyan says, Christian himself struggled, even at the end of his life, with assurance. Now, George Barna, who is a, a pollster, and a, particularly of religious things, notes, this was many years ago, but he noted that 99% of all Americans believe they are headed for heaven. When asked, 99 out of 100 people believe that they are headed for a he heaven here. Um, so here, obviously, presumption is a problem. <clears throat> Assurance is a God-given awareness, however, that one has accepted the death of Jesus Christ on your behalf. So if you have never accepted Jesus Christ, you should not have assurance of salvation. If Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior, 
you should have zero confidence of going into the presence of God safely. So we first have to start there. When we talk about the subject of assurance, we need to rightly ground it in the person and the work of our Savior. If you will confess with your mouth and believe on him from the heart, the Bible says you will be saved. You shall be saved. Um, now, there, I want to talk about Christians who are concerned, though, uh, because they are saying, well, Pastor, I believe on Jesus Christ. I, I, I pray, I seek him, I read the Bible every day, but I am always worried, I am plagued with worry every day that I'm not a Christian and I need help. And this, first of all, I want to say is not unique to you. If you struggle with this, you are not alone. Now, I know you feel alone, but you really are not. In fact, even church history tells us that there have been many uh, eminent Christians who have been used greatly of the Lord who struggled with this issue. No one less than Charles Spurgeon, uh, the 19th century great British uh, pastor, uh, struggled at one time after, I think it was an evening service, if memory serves me, he comes home and he sits down and he says, have I been a waiter all this time and never eaten the food myself? That is, he, he was worried that he was just a, a waiter who served other people like a waiter in a restaurant, but yet he had never eaten of Christ himself. And sometimes he doubted that. Um, even though, you know, God used him greatly. Now, there is a difference between doubt and unbelief. Um, What causes doubt? Well, the Westminster Confession of Faith tells us here there are probably at least nine reasons. Number one is sin. Uh, Sin is a reality. We fight sin as Christians. And sometimes if sin gets the upper hand, it may shake our assurance that we wonder, am I a Christian? Many of you may have experienced not just the sin, but the the reality of sin in your life. Sometimes if, say, Christians who come to the Puritans for the first time and they bore down in the issue of sin like you've never heard before, like you've never read before, and sometimes it can shake a new a Christian, and they think, well, maybe I'm not really a Christian. When I read this, I begin to worry that I'm not really converted. And it's not that you are not converted to Christ in many cases, but it's that you are feeling now a deeper sense of conviction of sin than you've ever felt. That is, it is possible that God has truly brought you to Jesus Christ, but you came to Christ somewhat like the way a swimmer comes into the swimming pool by way of the shallow end. You came in kind of step by step and you waded in to the shallow end. And now suddenly you find yourself in the deep end of the pool, uh, maybe even overwhelmed by the enormity of, of your sin. You were like, well, I knew I was a sinner, but man, now I really know I'm a sinner. I'm beginning to feel the weight of sin in new ways that I hadn't felt before. 
And that may cause people to wonder, well, was I ever really converted? Sometimes I hear people say that. Well, they say, you know, I, I made a profession of faith when I was 16 years old, but, you know, I don't think I was really converted till I was 19. Well, that could be true, but it also might not be true. It might be that you're misinterpreting what was going on in your life during those three years. So sin can cause doubt. Number two, uh, satanic accusations. The devil is called the accuser of the brethren. So he is like a prosecutor, and he is always trying to uh, bring charges against you and against your conscience. One of his devices is to uh, discourage you and accuse you. He may accuse you of things that are true. He may accuse you of things that are not true. And he may jumble them together uh, and bring accusations against you. This may cause you to begin to doubt whether you are a Christian. You might go through a very particular, uh, particularly hard time. Uh, the third one for doubt, third cause of doubt can be what the Puritans called a frowning providence. A frowning providence. What is that? You, simply put, is you're going through a very difficult stretch. You're having a lot of trials in your family. You're going through a lot of problems, interpersonal problems, vocational problems, health problems. It just seems like it, you're living the life of Job. It's one thing, and then another bad report, and then another bad report, and then another bad report. And they're all just strung together. And it may lead you to wonder, have I lost the favor and love of God? You know, why am I going through all this? Number four, this is important. Especially, I think, if, if you have uh, a friend or a family member who may be going through this, keep in mind the fourth cause of doubt could be physical or mental. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And there will be times that you will deal with a particular case of maybe conscience or a particular what you think is a spiritual case, but it's bigger than that. <laughs> I have seen situations where a person was struggling greatly with their assurance of salvation, but it wasn't cheaply rooted in their spiritual life. It was rooted in their psychological life. They were having psychological medical problems in their body, in their mind. The reason, though, they were interpreting it as a, uh, as a spiritual problem was because they were Christians, and therefore the nature of their worry was spiritual. Does that make sense? That the, 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 the occasion, that is, they, let's, for example, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> they, they think they've blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. And this becomes obsessive to them. And they think they're outside of God's grace. It may very well be, and it may very well likely be, and you've known them to be a Christian for many years. They have not blasphemed against the Spirit. Why are they worried about it? They're worried about it because they may be undergoing some kind of psychological problem, like an OCD, which is real. For those of you who doubt me, don't doubt me on this. If you've ever dealt with somebody who struggles with this. But the OCD person, because they are a Christian, the content of their obsession is spiritual in nature. They're not washing hands constantly like non-believers or fearing germs or something else like a non-believer 
might be worrying about. They're worrying, they're obsessing. Did I just blaspheme the Holy Spirit in the last 10 minutes that I was talking to you? Because they are a Christian. And, and so therefore they are very concerned about spiritual things. Um, I knew a young man who, who was going to do a, an errand, run an errand for his wife. And he, he doesn't even get out of the driveway. And the wife looks out the window and she sees him sitting in the car and she knows exactly what's going on. He's, he is wondering whether he just blasphemed the Holy Spirit and he can't run that errand until he tries to figure it out. Now this may sound strange to some of you, but this is, this is, this is reality for some. That's why it, it, you, know, you need to kind of get a full theological orb perspective on this. And what was needed so much was not counseling, spiritual counseling, so much as we needed to get that man on a right medical footing first, and then the counseling could take place. Um, the, 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 we needed to get that man a, a, a sense of balance, um, of, of being able to just function in life. And then from that, uh, we could begin to talk about the content of the obsession. Does that make sense? Okay. So uh, recognize that it could be bigger than, than just a spiritual issue here. Now, some people may doubt their, their faith in God simply because it is a spiritual issue. It may be God withdraws himself. You see that in section four of the confession in the fourth paragraph that God in his, for his own wise reasons withdraws a sense of his presence from his child. And it may be for a period of testing that that, that child of God would rely on the promises of God more than the sense of experience. That is, they've always walked with God. They've had close communion with God. But that, that sense of communion with God was what they always were relying on rather than by faith relying on the promise of God even when the sense was not there. And so God slowly withdraws his sense of communion in order that that child of God would learn to rely on the word of God rather than their feelings and their sense uh, experientially with God. That's number five. The sixth cause of doubt for a Christian could be just mere inexperience. Generally speaking, it is younger Christians who often struggle with a lack of assurance. New Christians tend to be uh, the most vulnerable of, of people. And I've told you also um, <clears throat> young women who have young children and, are phys and get physically exhausted also become candidates for a lack of assurance. So those two groups often, now it can afflict anybody, but often uh, inexperience as a Christian. <clears throat> they just haven't walked with the Lord uh, long enough. Number seven, I already kind of went over this, but number seven, confusion over a new sensitivity to sin. That is, they mistake a new... They've, they're, they're actually growing closer to the Lord. They're actually growing in grace. But because they're growing in grace, they become more sensitive to the odiousness of sin. 
but they then confuse the sensitivity to that sin with the fact that they are a greater sinner. And they begin to think, maybe I'm not a Christian. I'm not converted. No, it's not that you're not converted. It's just you're growing in holiness and you're growing in awareness to the ugliness of sin and how deep that sin does reside within you. Number eight, another cause can be when Christians compare themselves with other Christians and and they begin to have doubts. Maybe I'm not a Christian. Others seem to be growing. Others seem to have greater fruit, greater joy, greater usefulness, and they begin to question whether they are really a Christian. And then finally, number nine, and ninth cause of doubt is people converted young in life, they may wonder because uh, their conversion was kind of like the sun rising in the morning. You know, it just kind of slowly just happened and it was not sudden. It wasn't dramatic. You know, there there was no life of, you know, profligate living and then suddenly a great change in their life. When they hear stories about people who are suddenly converted in adulthood, they begin to wonder, wow, that's pretty spectacular. I haven't had anything like that in my life. Uh, Listen, young people, thank God, first of all, that that hasn't been your story, okay? It's better (laughs) for you to come to know the Lord in your earliest days uh, than to, you know, live a life of sin and then turn from it. Now, we thank God for both types of conversions. But don't let yourself fall into the uh, thinking that you are not really a Christian because you haven't had the same kind of radical experience that somebody else has had. Uh, there, there was no you know, road to Damascus experience in your life where you're riding in rebellion on your horse to go arrest Christians and then suddenly you are a Christian. Okay? Uh, that, that happens to some. But uh, just because it doesn't happen to you, don't let that cause you to doubt that you are really a Christian. Now, the confession tells us uh, what are we to ground our, our assurance in? What is a good ground of, of our assurance? Well, number one is the character of God. The character of God. That is, God is perfect in his love, uh, in his holiness, in his wrath. John chapter 6 Uh, Verse 37 is a good scripture for us. Uh, John 6 and verse 37, Jesus here says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. So Jesus here is saying if you will come to him and believe on him, trust him, turn to him, love him, he will not forsake you. And all that come to Jesus have come to the Father, and all that are given to the Son are also given to the Father and will not be forsaken of God. So we can rely, based on the character of God and His Word, uh, that we have this hope. Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of redemption. God's character will not allow you uh, to enter into a sincere relationship with him, only to be temporary. So the character of God, number one. Number two, the work of Christ. The work of Christ. Uh, If you look at Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 and 14. 
For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Notice here, we, if you look closely at the work of Jesus Christ, this will help your assurance. Jesus Christ, and this is why it's good to be a Calvinist, one of many, Jesus Christ saves. We do not believe as Calvinists that Jesus Christ just opens the door for salvation. We believe the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ saves you. You were saved. There's a sense you could say you were saved 2,000 years ago. The moment Christ died for his elect, they were saved. That work of salvation was accomplished. Now, it wasn't applied to you for another 2,000 years, but that's a different story. The accomplishment of your salvation was 2,000 years ago. And the reason I'm emphasizing this is because if you go to an Arminian church, what the Arminian church is teaching is that Jesus kind of 2,000 years ago opened the door for you to choose whether you're going to go into salvation or not. What the Bible is saying is that, no, it's more like a bridegroom who picks up his bride and carries her across the threshold. Jesus Christ, by his death, brings you into uh, the light, the dominion of light. And you have the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Number three, you have the promises of God. You have the character of God. You have the work of Christ. Thirdly, you have the promises of God. John 3.16, familiar to us all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Acts chapter 16, verse 31, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved, you and your household. So we have these great promises to come to Christ and to believe on Christ. The work is finished. And then... <clears throat> Also, um, well, let me, let me go on here. Um, so that's the, base, the three bases of assurance. Character of God, work of Christ, and the promises of God. <clears throat> now, what causes an erosion of assurance. What can cause an erosion? The confession talks about this as well. We need to know uh, what this is. And then I want to talk about practical steps uh, for you to build assurance in your life. Uh, the confession gives us several reasons why assurance can be eroded in the Christian. Uh, first of all, it may be lost due to a failure to repent of a known sin. Now, that's not some kind of secret sin that you're ignorant of, but something that you know you've done and you've said, but you have, for whatever reason, refused to acknowledge it and make it right with God or another person. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Ephesians 4, verse 30. Oh, that was Psalm 66, by the way, verse 18. Psalm 66, 18. Ephesians 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So 
<clears throat> make sure that you're keeping short accounts with God and one another. Now, number two, this is probably more uh, prevalent, and that is just plain old laziness. Um, plain old laziness. Richard Sibbs, the great Puritan minister, says, quote, it is the lazy Christian commonly that lacks assurance. Now, that's not to say if you lack assurance, it's because you're lazy. We don't know that. But if you are lazy in your walk with the Lord, uh, you may, in good time, lack uh, assurance. <clears throat> Number three, it could be a satanic attack. Satan does seek to rob Christians of assurance. He wants to make you a poor witness. And if he can make you a downcast, depressed uh, Christian, all the better. <coughs> Excuse me. If he can make you miserable, <clears throat> uh, navel-gazing, then great. Stephen Charnock, another Puritan minister, says that we have to remember, though, that the devil is God's ape, A-P-E, <clears throat> and that... Um, if, if it, Satan may, you know, attack us for ill, but God can use it for good um, if we seek him. It may cause us, you know, to use the spiritual armor better if we come under attack, to put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, etc. Now again, what if I go under a, a frowning providence? This, as I said, can erode assurance we need to remember Romans 8.28. If we find ourselves going through very difficult times, we need to think on the fact that Paul promises that because in light of the certainty of our glorification, for those who were called are justified, those who are justified you know, are glorified, Romans 8.28, all things work together for good to those who love God. So if you're going through a particularly difficult time, to remember that this, too, is working for your ultimate good. Now, some people, by temperament, <clears throat> can lose assurance or have assurance eroded. Different people have different physiological and psychological uh, makeup. <clears throat> they have problems that may make them more susceptible to doubting their salvation. Some people, by natural temperament, may struggle with doubts. Many of you know of William Cooper. I'm saying Cooper, but his name is spelled C-O-W-P-E-R, like Cowper. It looks like Cowper, but I have been told you are to pronounce it Cooper. That William Cooper, who wrote some of the great hymns that we sing, struggled with assurance most of his life. He struggled with depression and even temptation to self-murder. But, um, and even sometimes in the, in the last decade of his life. But Cooper battled back uh, by reinforcing his mind, he said, with biblical truths, that that helped him. Um, he knew he had this problem, and he really sought the scriptures and the truths of scriptures, used the scriptures to meditate uh, to help him uh, find his buoyancy here. <clears throat> Now, um, 
Many people, especially young kids who grow up in the church, they may wonder, is my Christianity merely cultural? Or am I truly converted? Um, how do we know uh, if, if we are just highly influenced by our surroundings, or whether we have had a true experience of God's grace and faith in Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, um, conversion will always be demonstrated by fruit and not experience. I want you to hear that. <clears throat> conversion will always be demonstrated by the fruit of the Spirit in your life, not by experience. What do I mean by that? Well, kind of like I was saying earlier, it, you, you, are, you are to ask yourself, am I growing in grace? Am I bearing the fruit? Now, obviously, it is not going to be perfect, but it, it should, you should see evidences of salvation. One of the things that we try to do as elders is try to look to some of those fruits when we interview young people as to their uh, ability to come to the communion table. <clears throat> we know you know the right answers, but also are you, are you bearing fruit in your life? Um, <clears throat> this, this can be difficult too because as children grow, as covenant children grow, they may begin to wrestle with assurance because now they're facing new situations at age 17 that they weren't facing at age 9. There's a whole new set of temptations and, and things going on in their life and around them that may cause them to doubt. So keep in mind that it is not that they don't, didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, but now they are facing new battles in the Christian life. And they're having to learn to submit to Christ in new areas as they mature. Parents ought to be prepared to deal with these areas with their children. And then, as I said earlier also, mothers with small children can experience difficulties with assurance. Our culture pressures women oftentimes to have it all, careers and motherhood. And sometimes... Just motherhood in itself can be overwhelming. This can lead to what sometimes is called the Elijah syndrome. And if you want to know what the Elijah syndrome is, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3 through 5, where Elijah is just chronically busy. You know, it's the great battle at Mount Carmel. And the battle ends up being tremendous and victorious for Elijah, but it leaves him exhausted. Uh, to the point where he doubts everything, and all it takes is one letter from the queen saying, I'm going to kill you like you did to the prophets of Baal. I'm going to do to you before the end of the day. And he just hightails it out of there. Um, he's, he's, you know, here's a man who took on uh, hundreds of false prophets and, and successfully, and yet one little you know, letter threat, and suddenly he runs away. What happened? Well, I think Elijah just probably, you know, if you've ever experienced great blessings in your life, you know that following those great blessings often comes the greatest trials and temptations. I've heard athletes talk about this. You know, they win that World Series. They finally, they, they win the Masters. They win the Super Bowl. Uh, and, and then, but the hardest part of their life is immediately after. Now what? You know, that, that, that sense of all that they have been working and striving for um, now has left them 
feeling a, a bit adrift here. This can happen um, as we get very busy, uh, particularly in uh, young families. You'll feel the physical fatigue. Don't worry, the emotional fatigue will come later. But the physical fatigue at the beginning um, the, uh, you know, can leave one with a sense of great doubt about their walk with the Lord. <clears throat> now, what are some practical steps in building assurance? Because what did our text tell us in the book of Hebrews? Hebrews really enjoins us here that we should be seeking uh, assurance of faith. <clears throat> Let us listen to what the Hebrews says. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says, you know, that we should seek assurance. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. And so how do we do this? Well, let me give you uh, 15. Whitney gives us 15 steps. I'm going to go quickly. Here, don't worry. It's not like this sermon's halfway over. <laughs> Number one is seek assurance. Seek assurance. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. Nothing is more important for us than to know that we are indeed the children of God. He said, you can't really enjoy the blessings of the Christian life unless you've got this assurance. And I certainly can testify to that. There is nothing more miserable than always learning about the Lord, going to church, you know, even in the early days of seminary, and still wondering, am I really converted? Uh, so to really strive for assurance of salvation here. Uh, make it a goal that you will seek to gain greater assurance of your salvation. Number two, you need to know the gospel and preach that gospel to yourself. You need to know the gospel. A survey was done among uh, quote-unquote evangelicals. I'm putting that in air quotes because if you bear, bore down in their, in their particular beliefs, they're, they're not evangelical. Um, but... Anyway, they believed themselves to be evangelicals. It discovered that 48% said they believed that if people are generally good and do enough good things for others, they will earn a place in heaven. That's coming from people who believe that they're evangelicals. Almost half don't really understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and that is going to be a real problem for assurance, particularly if you, know, you fall into sin and you just wonder, is there enough good I can do to make up for the mess I've made of my life? Many people have a, a lack of clarity as to what the gospel is. So are you sure of the gospel? Is it, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that it is of first importance, he said. Jesus Christ who died and was raised from the, from the dead. Um, do you realize that sin is more than just making mistakes and not being, quote-unquote, a perfect person? So you need to know the gospel. Number three, then following that, you need to think deeply about the gospel. The gospel involves more than the forgiveness of sins. That tends to be what most people know. My sins are forgiven. 
But children, you need to know that the gospel involves a lot more than just forgiveness. It involves your adoption. It involves election. It involves the doctrine of justification, sanctification, glorification. All of these doctrines are related to the gospel. Number four, we ought to repent of known sin. Thomas Watson, <clears throat> great Puritan minister, said, He who is conscious of secret sins cannot draw near to God in full assurance. Now, that's not to say, okay, i got to try and find some sin. Uh, this is, no, this is something you know about, you've been aware of, your conscience has been pressing on this issue, and you've been ignoring it. That is what you need to deal with. Repent of all known sin. Number five, submit everything to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Submit everything to the lordship of Jesus. Thomas Brooks says, The more the soul is conformed to Christ, the more confident it will be of its interest in Christ. That is, the more you're conformed to what Jesus wants you to do and how he wants you to live, the more confident you'll be that you have a genuine interest in Jesus Christ. Uh, number six, meditate on the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. So the book of 1 John will help you if you will give attention to that. Number seven, pray for greater faith. Ask the Lord to give you a larger faith to believe that should help you. Number eight, you need to practice spiritual disciplines. Just like I said, that one of the things that causes you to lose your assurance can be laziness. You're going to have to practice those spiritual disciplines. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I did things like a child. But boys and girls, there comes a point. You know, you got to put away the childish ways. You got to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 7. You have to grow up. Thomas Brooks says that the lazy Christian has no right to expect assurance. So if you're neglecting Bible reading, you're neglecting prayer, you're not paying attention in family worship, you're not you're daydreaming during my sermons, listen, you're not going to uh, be assured of faith, probably. So practice those disciplines. Number nine, if you love God, take assurance, because non-Christians do not love him. All right, so here's an encouragement to you. Do you, to the best of your ability, believe that you do love God? That's a, you know, you say, well, I don't know if I'm going to heaven. Well, do you want to go to heaven? Do you love God? You know, a non-Christian doesn't really love God. Here's another one, number 10. Do you hate sin? Can you say with the Apostle Paul, you see, sometimes the battle of Romans 7 is so strong, people think, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a Christian. I do the very things I hate. Well, do you hate them? Yeah. Pastor, I, I hate some of the things I do. Well, that's a good sign. <laughs> because the wicked, they don't, they don't necessarily hate it. Um, that's another reason I think Romans 7 is speaking about the Christian, the converted person, not the unbeliever. Number 11, uh, make use of the sacraments. Pay attention when we come to the Lord's table. Focus on the gospel there. It's a picture 
of the gospel. It's a picture of God's love for you. It's a picture of the work of Jesus Christ for you. God gives us the baptism and the Lord's Supper so that we can be focusing on Christ, focusing on the gospel. Even if we are not necessarily partakers. Young kids, I know that some of you are not yet partakers of the table. Like I said this morning, you can still get a benefit. You can derive a benefit by watching the rest of us who have made that public profession of faith. Uh, you, can, you can watch and observe and learn about the gospel. And it can help you to put your trust in Jesus Christ. When you, you may not be the subject of baptism, but when you watch somebody get baptized up front, you say, that's a picture of what Jesus Christ does. See, the, the reason most Baptists, they get baptism all wrong is because they, they put the emphasis on, on the person, the individual. They say, look what I've done. I'm doing this as a testimony to my walk with the Lord. It's not about you, chiefly. It's about Christ. Baptism is about the work of Christ. It's not about your work in response to the work of Christ. It's not about your response. It's about the promise of the gospel. It's about the washing. That just as water washes us of filth and, and dirt, that the, the, the death of Jesus Christ washes me of my sin. It's the washing. So the sacraments are, are very important along with the preaching. Number 12. We have to make a distinction between our earthly fathers and our heavenly fathers. Some people had bad upbringings. And they are by grace converted to Christ. And one of their struggles is the idea of God as Father. And J.I. Packer has said that knowing God as Father is one of the greatest blessings that a Christian can have. But some people, they, they struggle with this because they, they're, they're, their type uh, was not a fit father. And here's where we have to believe the word uh, of what God says about our heavenly father. So don't compare an earthly father to a heavenly father necessarily. That may shake your assurance. But look to what the Bible says about God as a heavenly father. and Let that be your standard. Number 13, seek godly counsel. Don't try and walk through a lack of assurance on your own. If you're struggling with assurance, there is no shame in it. There is, it is not the essence of faith. So get help if you need help. Um, and speak to those who may have the maturity to you know, get you to a place where you do have assurance. Number 14, pray for assurance. Sometimes we have not because we ask not. Pray for assurance. If you're struggling with doubt, ask God to give you that greater sense of peace. Then 15 and finally, wait upon God. Sometimes we have to wait upon the Lord. Um, it may not come. There's not necessarily going to be a silver bullet. I, can't, I cannot tell you when exactly my struggle with assurance ended. It wasn't as though I had a dramatic moment and I said, aha, I found it. And just over time, um, I began to realize 
that that which was so problematic for me was becoming less so and that I had a sense of greater stability in my walk.